This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. Today, I have a special interview to share with you. It's one that I just completed with a woman named Pleasance, who just has an incredible, incredible um, podcast and movement in the world. And I don't share, I, I'm on so many interviews and I do so many podcasts, but, but sometimes the podcasts are just cool and we get into stuff and I'm like, oh, they're really important. And so I ask if I can share them with my audience on my podcast, because I think that we really get into kind of the nitty gritty. So I've done it a few times and this is one of those times because I just feel like this interview, it's an interview of me, but I feel like we touched on some stuff that is just so important. And even if you've heard it before, it's one of those things that you can hear it again and hear it in a different way and really resonate with it. So without further ado, I'll, I'll go live with Pleasance. All right. So welcome, Annie. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thank you for having me. Um, Okay. So I'm nervous because this is um, such a personal topic, but I know that it's time to have the conversation. Number one, because we were rescheduling so much that I think this is exactly when we were meant to have the conversation because now I've had that much more of sobriety to talk about um, and more experiences to ask your wisdom about. And um, also, I have been talking about my decision to stop drinking for the past few months, but never specifically a whole podcast episode dedicated to it. And so people have been, and you talk about this in the book, um, coming up to me every whispering and asking, emailing quietly. I'm thinking of, I'm, I think I want to stop drinking. I'm scared. And then I'll get, don't tell me to stop, you know, like just responses and all I'm doing and all I've been doing is sharing what my experience has been. And I've been writing about how it has impacted my marriage and my relationship and Uh, that's been really interesting to see how people write to me about what I've shared um, and the fear associated with it. So when I quit in July, I ordered your book the day I got home. It was July 1st and I had seen your book and hid from it. (laughs) And then in August, uh, it, when it came in July, when I was home and I was reading it and here it is, Um, this naked mind, control alcohol, find freedom, discover happiness, and change your life. Um, I didn't want to read it in public because I was afraid that people would think I was an alcoholic. Right. So this is where I want to start about this fear of other people thinking you're something because there's this whole gray zone with alcohol. And I just want to dive right in. Why did you write this book? Tell me about your experience and what's going on when I'm afraid to show people the book. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I think it's really unfortunate. Like what we've done in our society is somewhere along the way, we, you know, got the idea that there was just like this segment of the population that somehow couldn't control alcohol and that everybody else was, you know, fine or normal or whatever. And if you started to drink at levels that were, you know, 
that you even just weren't happy about. Let's not even talk about levels that are really destructive. But if you're just starting to drink at levels where you're like, okay, I'm just not happy with what I'm doing anymore. All of a sudden people are like, oh, well, wait, like, what does that mean? Does that mean you have a problem? Does that mean you're an alcoholic? Because that's the only framework we've given for this conversation, which is really unfortunate because the truth of the matter is that actually like only 10% of excessive drinkers. And so this is excessive drinkers, not all drinkers, but excessive drinkers, only 10% according to the CDC fall into that classification of like clinically dependent on alcohol. And so 90% of people who are drinking excessively don't. And so we're not having this like fair conversation like we would about, oh, are we, you know, eating too many, um, too much sugar or, you know, are we not getting enough exercise? Like all of these really healthy conversations about just being better, living better lives. We're not having it about alcohol because we've developed this idea that somehow there's something wrong with you. I mean, just even the term, I'm an alcoholic, right? We don't have cigarette alcoholics. We don't have heroinism. We simply have an addictive substance that the human brain, because it's made up of neurons and flesh and blood, and it can become addicted to. And that's just proven over and over. There's no, there's no, like, there's no controversy about the fact that alcohol is addictive, but we just sort of look at it separately than any other addiction or addictive substance. And so we don't, we don't look at it and it's, it's really too bad. And I think that because we don't have that language to talk about it, when somebody comes and stops drinking, there's a lot of sort of shame around it. So, because it's, it's not the simple question, like, would I just be happier drinking less alcohol? It's this really high pressure convoluted, like, oh, do I have a problem and I am alcoholic? And, and that question, by the way, makes sure that we avoid asking it for as long as possible. So it almost precipitates or necessitates like a rock bottom experience because we keep saying, oh no, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. And I think even further, it can be really destructive because then when we actually want to start questioning our drinking, even I went up to someone, she stopped drinking, she was a really close friend of mine, we're drinking together all the time, you know, always matching each other for drinks. And almost 10 years ago now, she came up to me and said, I've stopped drinking. I went to AA and I was like, oh my gosh, well, what about me? Like I drink with you. I was really honestly like at a point in my life where I was like, this isn't, I, I'm not loving it anymore. It's, you know, definitely more hangovers than fun. And like, what about me? And she's like, oh no, Annie, I learned that I'm an alcoholic. Like I was born this way. And that's what she learned in the meetings. And so all of a sudden I thought, okay, well, I guess that's not for me. <laughs> and so what, I guess, I guess I just, what's my option just to go back to drinking. And so all of that, I think comes to the surface when we're interacting with, with other people around alcohol. It's just this fully loaded conversation where it really shouldn't be. And I felt, I think I feel a lot of shame that I've been definitely working through the past eight, nine months around being a yoga teacher, a meditation teacher, a holistic health coach. Like I have a lot of friends in that world who don't drink and it's, I have a lot of spiritual friends and healer friends and spent a lot of times on retreat where it's not part of the uh, day to day, but my other life and the old sort of before yoga me, it was such a big part of my life and such a big part of my primary relationships with my closest friends and my husband that, and it was actually also, I was using it as a release because I was separating identities and I was compartmentalizing like yoga studio owner Pleasance versus like 
party girl pleasance, right? This is all this compartmentalization. I was creating these sub identities where like sort of drinking a lot and being able to hold my own for so long and being such a heavy drinker was like my rebellious side. And what I've learned is like, I don't, they're not separate. It's all whole. I can just be exactly who I am without having to have this rebellious side, who's fighting the yoga side, all of that kind of like enmeshment that we get when we have to, when we, when our ego creates more identities and things that honestly other people don't care about. This is just your own, (laughs) you know, your own stories. Um, And one thing that happened when I had shared about my sort of finding your book. I think I was writing to our newsletter that I was going to be having this conversation with you and people and very loving, loving, amazing women that I adore wrote to me and invited me to their AA meetings. And my first response was not like, oh yeah, I want to do that. My first response was, I'm not an alcoholic. So what's going on there? Do you feel, have you heard stories like that? Like, why does that feel, these are very loving, kind women inviting me in. Why do I feel like I'm not an alcoholic? Don't invite me to AA. I don't need AA. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really natural. Like I feel the same way. There was an article that, you know, was written up about me and it was like recovering alcoholic. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's not how I identify. And I think it's just because of the work that you do with you know, spiritual work and yoga work, and you're so in tune and aware of how destructive whatever you say after I am can be, right? Because alcoholic means you're broken, right? According to AA, alcoholic means that there's really no cure, that you're going to live this life of, um, yeah, you can make it better, you can make it tolerable, you can find your feet, but it's not going to be fun and it's not going to be easy and you're going to have to be separate and you better watch yourself when you're at the bar or you better watch yourself when you're on vacation. It's, it's a fear-based thing, right? And so um, I think you just are having a really natural resistance to someone who's really awakened of what I call myself matters. And I think when you feel that way, and I have had this conversation with people who are like, no, like the word alcoholic saved my life. And I was like, okay, tell me about that. Like, how did that, what did that look like for you? And basically what it looked like is that without accepting that identity, they would have continued to drink because that identity, there is so much fear in it. If they're an alcoholic, this is what she said. She goes, Annie, now I know I can never again drink in safety. Now I know that picking up one drink of alcohol is risking my life and it will probably kill me. And if I know that, I will not drink. So it's a fear-based thing, right? Whereas for me, like I know that I could pick up one drink of alcohol tomorrow and it's not going to kill me. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make a mindful decision about it and, you know, like decide if I want to do it again or not. Like I, I'm not living in that place of like, oh my gosh, like, and, and my friend who's, she's seriously been sober 10 years and she says she still has dreams where she's just like sneaking away and just like, you know, nobody knows. And she's just having her dirty martini or whatever the case is. And it's like, so, um, so emotional and so power packed. But in, in this woman's, you know, who's explaining this to me, she's like, but that keeps me sober. And that's why I identify with it so intensely. And that's why people are so upset about your work specifically, because you're suggesting that there's another way and you're suggesting that maybe I'm not an alcoholic. And by the way, the term alcoholic, it's not medically or scientifically 
uh, correct. Like it's, it's, it's just a legacy thing that a group has really created because doctors don't use it. I mean, maybe in like as common vernacular, but it's not in the diagnostic statistical manual. It's alcohol use disorder, which by the way, alcohol use disorder is this whole spectrum, right? Which it should be because just like somebody needs, um, maybe to like, I don't know, moderate their eating a little bit and then somebody needs to never again eat sugar because they're diabetic. Like there's a spectrum, like we're humans. We're not in, we're not black and white. We're, we're totally colorful. We have all of this spectrum. And so interestingly with alcohol use disorder, to have mild alcohol use disorder, you only have to answer these two questions in the affirmative. Do you have to drink more now than you used to in order to get the same effect? And that's everybody I know. That's the definition of tolerance. I don't know anybody who's like, you know, can have the same effect with from one glass of wine that they did when they were like 19 and had their first glass. And then the second question is, have you had occasions where you wish you would have drank less? Um, You know, so like everybody I know again, oh man, I overdid it the night before. I shouldn't have had that third glass of wine. Like, oh, now I have a headache. I wish I wasn't so hungover. Everybody I know. So if you look at that, then the entire population of regular drinkers has mild alcohol use disorder. And if we come from that, then it's not this else, it's not this other, it's not this separate. It's okay, we're all in it together, so let's just have this conversation and fix our shit, basically. Like, let's- I, I totally agree. I just wanna continue to have these kind of very open conversations about what's really going on. And I think that's why, I also feel like being alone with your book and um, sort of side by side with my journal um, over a period where I was very alone, like I was alone a lot because my kids were at camp and I just worked from home. So um, it was, it was like sacred. It, It was doing, it was like a retreat, right? And it was a deep dive into asking some of these questions that I didn't feel safe asking a lot of people because of the uh, projections and assumptions. And I don't know a lot of people who have done the deep inner work enough to start tracing some pieces. And what I didn't know was that, uh, so I read the book in July and August under the covers. And then <laughs> it, and then when were the Kavanaugh hearings? September, October? Um, So I had reached out to a therapist after I read your book and said, okay, I think I have some things that are going to be uncovered uh, that I didn't even know drinking was covering because I've been doing it for so long and so much. And it's so fun. Like I love drinking. So I don't associate my drinking patterns with any trauma or any any stuff I'm covering. But then once Mm -hmm. I stopped drinking, some stuff really started to come up in the journal that was very painful. And then Kavanaugh happened and that was going through that sober. When I got on the other side of that, I was like, I can do anything. Like I felt so strong because I had gone to a really dark place, emotionally, physically, memories, trauma, but on my own, strong, going to bed, taking care of myself, using oils, like using my tool, my self-care tool kit to move through without alcohol and, and also identifying it, saying like, wow, this is a moment when I would really be wanting a glass of wine, you know, or really be wanting to numb out on some of this stuff that's coming up. And then when I got to the other side, I was sort of like, oh my gosh, I really can do hard things without it. And that confidence building has been amazing. And then I shared not the personal stories of the trauma with my kiddo, but I shared with my daughter, you know, it was really hard to watch these and to go through um, 
to go through some of these experiences without alcohol because it was really one of the first times I ever heard it, I ever did. And she's 10. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, that's cool, mom. And so being able to, again, have those like relations out that impact so that we can start having this conversation uh, in a broader way with, with our youth because we didn't have it. And no blame to anybody or shame. I, I, I don't want to do that. It's just this is the awareness or the consciousness that we're at, you know? Um, can you tell us your story? Like however much you want to share about it. Yeah, for sure. So um, where it really started for me is I didn't, I didn't drink much in college at all. I mean, I could probably count the times I drank like on one finger and then, or one hand, <laughs> one finger. It was more than once. Uh, but it was very few and far between. I remember we took my... Um, we graduated college. My husband now and I took a like six week trip to Thailand and we had one night where we went out and decided we're going to have drinks. Uh, But other than that, we're just not interested. Like it just wasn't something, I don't know, that we're going to do. We didn't really drink at our wedding. I just wanted to have a champagne toast and that was it because I wanted to remember everything and we're really intentional about it. And then moved to New York City and I started working as, I was the youngest vice president in this multinational company. I was head of marketing for North America and I got asked, like, why am I not showing up at the happy hours? And I was like, oh, well, you know, I don't, I don't really drink. So my boss was like, uh, yeah, it's not about the drinking. It's about the networking. It's about being there for, um, you know, your ideas to get showcased. We're all too busy during the day. You need to show up. So I, I had a method, a glass of wine, a glass of water, a glass of wine, a glass of water. And that worked for a while. And, you know, eventually all of the other things that I did for myself, I mean, I imagine it like, um, if you're supported on a, you know, three, five-legged stool or something. And one of the things you do for yourself is like great quality time with your girlfriends. And one of the things you do for yourself is running. And one of them is yoga or whatever the case is. All those things just started to systematically get replaced. Like it would be, and it was, it was so insidious. It was never ever a moment in time where I was like intentionally saying I'm going to drink every day. Mm -hmm. But then fast forward a decade and I had been promoted multiple times. I'd done my work at, at the job. Um, but I was drinking like close to two bottles of wine every single day. Like I know it was over a bottle because I started buying boxed wine so that when the bottle was gone, like I, cause it, it was a weird mental thing with opening that second bottle. So you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to buy the box. And then, <laughs> and so, um, and that again is just like the cognitive dissonance of part of your mind, knowing that what you're doing is not in sync with who you really are and who you, you know, know yourself to be. And so, um, I remember trying to stop. Like I remember trying not even to stop, just really trying to like put rules on it for myself. Like, okay, well, I'm only going to drink on the weekends or I'm only going to drink two glasses or I'm only going to drink, you know, and all these different like rules. And I'd end up just breaking them, breaking them and breaking them. And that was when it got really painful. I think that's when the inner conflict of both wanting to do something more and less at the same time just got like nasty and toxic. And uh, I remember waking up at three in the morning, so many nights, like just beating myself up three to four, just this constant anxiety. You know, the, the um, alcohol wakes you up in the middle of the night because you're burning off the carbs. All this stuff is happening and you're sitting there and just feeling like, oh man, how many did I drink last night? Where was I at? Not being able to count and like just beating myself up. Like what is wrong with me? And um And at the same time, I had been doing, I had been in really bad back pain. And this is kind of a a sort of side note, but it's really how my entire book was born. I was in really severe back pain and I got recommended a book called Healing Back Pain by Dr. Johnson. And yeah, that changed my life. I mean, I went from like not being able to pick up my kids, like jumping on the trampoline with them. 
And the premise of the book is that you have repressed subconscious emotions that can cause physical pain. And in the beginning of the book, he says, yeah, you might find that really hard to believe. That's why you have to read a 300 page book because I need to talk to not only to your conscious mind, but to your subconscious mind. So I said, I'm skeptical, but I'm desperate. I read the book and yeah, it worked. And then I was like, oh my gosh. And so I just had this moment where it was kind of all these things at once. I was sitting, um, returning from a business trip. I was in London Heathrow Airport. I had just gotten off the train and I had a little bit of time before my flight and I'm sitting there. And I just had this moment where I realized like, okay, like what if that was the same for what I'm dealing with with alcohol? What if consciously I want to make a different decision here? I want to drink less, but subconsciously I just haven't gotten the memo because of this lifetime of unconscious like conditioning and, um, you know, influence from parents, from family, from media, from friends, from all of this stuff. And so whenever I try to drink less, I feel deprived. I feel miserable. I feel like I'm missing out. But guess what? I didn't used to feel like that. I didn't feel like that when I was a kid or even in my early 20s when I didn't drink. Like I was having a great time. I was having the time of my life and I wasn't drinking. And so I said, how can I undo this? How can I get back there? And so I made this kind of radical decision to stop trying to stop drinking because for the first time it seemed... I really saw the toxic mess I was creating by breaking promises to myself. That efforting, effort, 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 I'm going to try, 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 and not being able to do it uh, was just like wreaking havoc on my own self-worth. And uh, so I stopped trying to stop drinking and I said, I'm going to put all my effort and energy into figuring out why it's different now, what changed and how to like really rewire my thinking around this. And I didn't, it took about 13 months of me researching and I wrote it all up in these like really messy documents. And, um, and then I did, I was like, just one day it was like, all right, like, I know what I need to know. I know this isn't for me anymore. And I walked out of my office. I told my husband, I was like, you want to get drunk with me tonight's the night because after this, I'm not drinking anymore. And he was so surprised. You could have like pushed him over like, what, who are you? And I don't even believe you and stuff. And so we got, we split a bottle of wine and then that was like really it. And, and it was so interesting because everybody's like, well, was it hard? And I was like, well, no, it wasn't hard. Like there was no hard about it. It was just, I was so congruent for the first time in what I really wanted and what I really needed. And it wasn't even like you could have alcohol to me was as tempting as like drinking like gasoline or motor oil. Like it just wasn't tempting anymore. I saw it for what it was a toxin, a fermented liquid in a glass that had been keeping me stuck and ensnared and in this pit of like self-loathing. Um, and so I had no interest in it. It was like that moment when you break up with a really bad boyfriend and you try to break up with him so many times, but there's always a lure. There's always the thing you always go back. And then that moment where it's like, no, like my feelings are gone. Like there used to be, I was, I was trying to leave you cause I knew it was the right thing, but I still felt some love. And now like the feelings are gone. So I'm trying to leave you and I don't feel anything for you. So guess what? Yeah, it's, it's easy. And, um, yeah. And so then after that, I just decided that other people really needed the message. So I, I put the, the journals up for download and um, on a website and just had like 20,000 people download them in just a few weeks. And I was like, all right, I need to make this a book. And so then I spent the next basically year. That was actually a harder process yeah. to, to get itself published um, into this naked mind. Did you, what was the time like when you were doing that research, but you were still drinking? It was really freeing <laughs> because for the first time I was stopped, I, I stopped trying to be someone I wasn't. And I was just like, I'm going to find out who I really am, you know, and I didn't have an expectation that it was going to make me quit. 
That was not my point. Yeah, yeah that's what I, yeah. Okay, cool. What was it, the expectation? Just more. I was going to understand. I was going to understand why it had a hold on me that I, it didn't before. And I was going to understand like what it was actually doing. And I was going to understand most importantly, if all the reasons I, I started out my research by writing an entire list of all the reasons that I drank. And I went through them just really methodically. That was my process. And it was like, okay, alcohol relaxes me. Yeah. That's why I drink. And um, you start to research that and, you know, alcohol is a stimulant and a depressant. Stimulating factor feels good. The depressant part, it means your body releases adrenaline and cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormone. So like it does the opposite of relax you. And once you understand and start to see this, and that's one of like dozens of different things that alcohol does in your body, that's the opposite of relaxing. And then you start to ask yourself, well, am I more or less relaxed a few hours after drinking? What about the next day? What about cumulatively? Like, I'm definitely more stressed at the point in my life when I was drinking all the time. And so once you start to see those things, I, I, the best analogy I've come up with for it, I think the subconscious mind is so powerful because it's like, you know, it's like the first time a little kid would touch a flame, like say there's a candle and they're just like so interested and they touch it, but then it hurts and it hurts bad. And that's been revealed that it hurts. And then the mind is like, okay, never again do I have to think about touching that flame because that is stored, that is imprinted, that is forever. And um, I think the subconscious is really like that. When you start to expose to it how things have been causing pain and how things are not true, and like your mind just says, okay, well, I don't want that anymore. And it says, I'm, I'm staying away from that, just like I'm staying away from the fame and that's where instead of efforting it becomes really effortless and you know you're just living your life and you realize that okay that stuff that was controlling me it's really just a non-issue anymore and that's what I wanted I mean I I didn't necessarily want for I didn't have a goal of like stopping drinking I just wanted it to be small and irrelevant in my life like it used to be yeah. so that didn't necessarily mean nothing but I remember at our wedding, you know, um, being like, okay, champagne toast, because that's like required. And I didn't have feelings about it either way. I just knew I didn't want to be drunk because I've been drunk a few times. I didn't like it. And so I was like, I know I don't want that. And I know alcohol can get me drunk. And I know after a few drinks, it's easier to drink more. So, but, but that wasn't even, none of that was even conscious. It was just a small, irrelevant thing. Like, okay, do you want a glass of wine? No, I'm just having water, but um, yeah, we'll toast with champagne. Like it wasn't even a thought process. It was just so, such an irrelevant issue that at my wedding night, it's hard for me to even remember because I didn't think about alcohol and that's what I wanted back. Yeah. And um, that was my goal. Yeah. I think also I, I realized somewhere over the summer when I got that sort of download to stop drinking, that it wasn't, it wasn't the mind games. Like in the spring, earlier in the spring, I think my husband and I had said, oh yeah, we'll, we won't drink at home. And then we started going out for dinner a lot more. That was a game, you know, uh, we'd say, oh, we'll just drink at home on the weekends. And then I'd be like, let's go out for dinner. Cause I secret, I really wanted to drink. And that like facing that reality was very painful. But as someone who's been a seeker my whole life and I'm very passionate about truth, this was like a truth I had to face was that I knew I couldn't play any games of like, oh, just on the weekends or just on Tuesdays or not at home or not here or not beer or not wine. Like all those mind games were creating the sort of rubber band ball that was just extending this relationship and making it bigger and then causing all, and it was all in my head, right? It was all like, I wasn't, I didn't want to share it with anybody. So 
And I didn't actually realize how strong it was until it wasn't there anymore. And I was, so when I decided, I was like, I'm just not going to drink period. And then it was like, my whole body was like, ha, ah. like I didn't have to play any of those mind games. So yeah. having that energy and thinking, wow, what am I going to do every day? And I think this, I want to read this part from your book because I love it so much. And it, it's just so much of, it just really, um, oh, it really touched me because it's really the reason why I quit drinking. Um, I can't begin to tell, this is on, this is chapter 24, pay it forward. I can't begin to tell you how much you'll accomplish when you're mentally and physically healthy. When you combine your health with a true sense of self-acceptance, self-respect, and self-love, there's nothing you can't do. This is the way to change our world. It's cliche, but it truly starts within. By solving our own problems with alcohol, we will have the mental capacity, the internal love, and the drive to solve the world's problems. They say peace begins at home and your truest home is inside yourself. Um, that connection to, it really does start with us, was the sort of, for me, once I read that chapter, this chapter, I'm like, yeah, that's what I do with my life. Like, that's, what I'll, that's all I've ever wanted to do and be and feel and present and live. And this was the last, the alcohol piece was sort of the last piece that was blocking that from feeling completely aligned. So since you wrote the book, did you leave the, you're doing this full time now? Like, tell me how this has changed your life and the work you do in the world and how this is just, exploding i am so thrilled to see sobriety it's like hip i mean literally there's a hip sobriety school like it's everywhere <laughs> yeah it's so awesome yeah so um i didn't leave at first i you know figured out how to self-publish it and then um it just started like i don't know it was really organic a uh, huge amount of word of mouth and must have been because I was like, who are these 15 people that have bought the book today on Amazon? And then the next day it was like, who are these 40 people? And then the next week it was like, who are these hundred people? And then it was like, who are these like hundreds of people that are buying this book every single day? I'm so surprised. And you know, now it's in like the top 500 on Amazon all the time. And I'm like, who, wait. And so I think it is just this like natural hunger for the message. And so that's been great. Um, and then since that, uh, <clears throat> did eventually leave my job and really started to, you know, figure out, well, what else, what else can I do? So I started a podcast, which has been incredible, um, you know, really got serious about blogging, which was, it's been really, really cool. And then, you know, just recently have started um, certifying coaches in order for, to, you know, do coaching programs where people need just more, you know, some people it's like the book, the book is it. Most people, in fact, that's just it is the book. But then, you know, there's definitely people are like, okay, well, actually the inner work that you're talking about, you having done yeah. I feel like very, very similar. It's very different to pour, you know, a lot of alcohol. Alcohol is addictive no matter what. So if you're like a pretty whole person who doesn't have a lot of like numbing happening in their life, alcohol is going to be addictive. If you are a pretty broken person and you stop pouring alcohol on it in order to numb those feelings, dealing it with and handling those feelings and navigating through some of that pain and those self-beliefs, um, definitely is at a different level and you can't do it while you're still drinking very easily because alcohol like really it numbs you from being present in the pain to do the work um, but equally I think it can be really hard to come face to face with some of that stuff so then that's where kind of the coaching comes in 
And that's been just really cool. So yeah, it's, it's definitely evolved. We now have like various tiers of, of coaching programs, you know, for depending where people are kind of on their journey. Well, and it's so funny too, because I remember once I started telling people, people started sending me um, like emails and like Facebook messages around like other books they read. And I remember telling one of my friends who stopped drinking after I, like a month after I did, like it sort of became this little ripple effect where people started stop drinking around me and then they started telling me and that was awesome. Not because I wanted to help anybody else just because I was like, oh, this is, I'm getting up. I have all this energy. It's just, it's things are shifting everywhere. So people noticed that and then they started doing it and people would send me names and I was like, I don't want to read. I actually don't want to, nor do I need to. I, I don't want to spend one more minute reading about alcohol. I have exactly what I need. It did the trick. It turned the, like, you know, shifted the gear, recalibrated the system. I'm good to go. Like, I don't want to spend one more effing minute of my life thinking about alcohol. It was like a total shutdown. And it's so funny because I'm normally like a researcher, an investigator, and I read all there is to know about a topic from every angle. And this, the way that you set up the book and do the history with the real life, like the mom wine time thing, which we could talk about, um, and like mommy culture and parenting without alcohol, which people keep telling me, I can't believe you're a parent and you're not drinking. And I'm like, because it's totally awesome. It's awesome. Um, But anyway, it's just like not actually needing more. This is my big plug for the book because I really just found that I, it had everything I needed and in order to go live my life more and that, and having, I think it was so brilliant and heartful for you to have that pay it forward at the end, because that's exactly what I needed to be like, all right, no more about this. Like move on lady. It's time to do the work. Like keep showing up, keep doing what you're here to do. And I also think it's because we do a lot of subconscious programming and RTT um, for trauma uh, in our work, like in the Lola community, uh, talk a lot about sort of the science of law of attraction and Joe Dispenza's work and rewiring the brain and Sarno, all the mind body prescription, all that. So it fit right in with how I understand we change habits and personalities and our way of being, right? Like, I want to be this woman. Um, Oh, I actually know how to do that. It had never occurred to me, just like you said, to use the techniques of subconscious programming that I'd been using in other areas uh, to heal other areas. So I love the synchronicities. Um, Do you, can you tell me any of the harder, like I make it... uh, you know, again, with a given name of Pleasance, I tend to be very positive naturally. It's part of my spirit. I also share the darkness and the difficult times. Um, And it has definitely affected some of my relationships in ways where some of them have dissolved and we've moved away from each other. And I really um, have gratitude for my spiritual practice to allow me to deal with that pain of losing people that I love um, and, and changing dynamics. So did you have anything that you'd share that wasn't so easy when you quit? Um, or that has been a result of not drinking? Yeah, there's definitely some friendships that took a, took a toll. Yeah. Some people who I'm not in touch with anymore at all. Some who have rekindled, which has been great. I mean, I think that I went at it with a, not only had I learned all this stuff, but I have, I've always been, um, like, uh, 
I'm a like seven Enneagram and I've always been like, yeah. okay, come with me. <laughs> Let's yeah. do this thing together. And so I like went and like was like crazy in terms of like everybody followed me and like, this is what we're going to do. And people are like, whoa, like they hadn't had the transformation I had. They hadn't had the knowledge. So me coming at them intensely was certainly like, I've learned a lot from that. And I, um, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I think we need to change happens through inspiration, you know, and not through, you know, us like kind of throwing up all our stuff we've learned on people. And so that was intense for me because it really, I really alienated people. And, um, and that was hard. And some of them have come back around for sure. I mean, I did have a girlfriend who we were like besties all through like high school and elementary school. And then she just didn't want to hang out anymore. And I was like, what's going on? And like two years later, she picked up the phone and she's like, okay, I just have to make a confession. I just thought our whole relationship would be changed if I didn't drink. And I felt like, oh, well, it's not even going to be fun if I go over there. And I'm like, okay, well, we spent our entire childhood together. Like, okay, but let's just try it. And she did come over and we had a great time. And so we've reconnected. That's been really hard. I think, um, you know, sometimes, especially early on, we're so tribal, we're so community led. It's, It's built into our neurons. So if you go into a situation and you're, you're, you're doing something else, you know, different. It's very hard to be like, okay, well, I'm in the minority. And usually the minority knows something about what's happening that the majority hasn't caught on to yet. And, and you have to kind of tell yourself those sorts of things, but we don't like feeling separate. We just very naturally want to feel part. And so that can be tough, you know? And then it's amazing though, as you, as you just stand in your truth, how that shifts. So like I'm in a, I'm in a mastermind with a bunch of other entrepreneurs and the first meeting I went to two and a half years ago, people were like, is Anna going to be okay if we drink? I mean, talk about yeah. making me feel separate, right? Because of course there's no issue. I'm totally fine with everybody drinking. Like there's no problem for me, but um, that was like, okay, not only am I going to feel a little separate, but then they're putting me in a separate box. And so I felt really uncomfortable. And then fast forward, we just got together about a week and a half ago and not only have just so many, it's over like 13% of the whole group has stopped drinking <laughs> because as entrepreneurs, they just realize that like just very similar to being in yoga or wellness, like this is holding me back. Yeah. This is like sucking my time. This is like, there's not enough time for all the stuff we want to do in the world. And it's just holding me back. So they've stopped drinking. And so now it's almost the other way where the people who are drinking are like, oh, you're still drinking? Have you, have you read Annie's book? You know, and it's just like this funny joke. This one guy comes up to say, Annie, I'm not even going to look at your book because I've heard things. I've heard that I'll stop drinking and I like to drink. And I was like, well, you better not even look at me then. And like, we're just joking around. So not only am I not like else, but I'm like firmly rooted in, you know, and that just happened over time. It really happened with people, um, you know, because I just continue to show up and, and not, you know, I'm here too, guys. Like I'm here, like I'm not going anywhere. And, but I do think those, those things are really tough, you know, especially early days. Yeah. And I think the pause has really show, like one of the things that I've definitely learned is that it was how I expressed because I have a lot of seven also. So it was how I was expressing fun and joy and parties and, like talking about drinking is so fun. So I remember um, in July when I got home, I was reading something on Enneagram. I was like doing, um, I can't remember if it was a podcast or listening to something. And it was like, oh yeah, healthy, healthiest versions of seven. Oh, it was the Ennea thought for the day. And it was like healthy versions of seven, seven your word is sobriety. Mm-hmm. And I was like, 
what, you know, drop the phone. I was like, okay, I hear you. I'm doing it. You know, it was just like oh, right there. And so the past nine months, it, there's a lot of discomfort because I have associated fun and being fun and joy and going out with alcohol. Mm -hmm. So I'm finding my way. I'm like, well, let me try this. Let me try guitar or let me try going for a walk with someone or let me try. Like it takes an energy and intentionality to rebuild, but that's actually what I want to do for the rest of my life is be able to find new ways of being and new ways of finding joy. And like just really noticing that I was using that as a path to fun and joy all the time. And that's probably also why it started feeling so uncomfortable in my body because it became it was becoming so much and my physical body was like please stop like this is not fun for us to try to deal with this every day mm -hmm. uh, and to try to digest it and process it uh every day so that was really interesting sort of pulling that apart like oh how can i have fun without it um and who are the people who are fun to be with and not without it right and, and i think it's so interesting because i i really love that about the enneagram and like the sobriety because it doesn't take anything from the energy of a seven. Actually, the healthiest, most vibrant seven, you know, and the seven is like the, you know, play hard, go lucky, have fun, like just crazy town. And like, actually the best version of that is sober. So yeah. it, it like flips the whole word sobriety on its head completely, you know, and I've experienced that because you know that feeling when you're eight years old and you're with your girlfriend or whatever, and you're laughing till you cry and you can't stop and you think you like might die. <laughs> Yeah. Like that happens again now. And that didn't happen when I was drinking. Yeah. We could get really giggly and we could get really laughy, but it was never the like, just let go and like, feel like, okay, I'm laughing so hard that it might actually be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that sort of stuff, I think, you know, and there's really real chemical reasons why um, alcohol makes it so hard to experience joy. You know, alcohol, just it, the brain has to remain in balance. And so when you drink and you elevate alcohol and any addictive substance overstimulates productions of, of dopamine and it overstimulates parts of the brain associated with pleasure. And so you might be like, oh, well, that's great. Like, duh, that's why we drink. Hello. Like, it's fun. And yeah, it's, it's great, but it's actually awful because then what the brain does very naturally to protect itself is it releases counter chemicals. Um, so one of the counter chemicals is called dynorphin. It's basically the opposite of endorphin. So it is a downer and dynorphin stays in your body a lot longer than alcohol because your body's like, I have to purge the alcohol. It's so toxic. Your body actually stops digesting food in order to purge alcohol. It stops regulating your blood sugar in order to purge alcohol, which means it can be really dangerous for like diabetics or people with low blood sugar. Um, and that's one of the reasons it can make you so weepy and feel so bad is because your body has to stop every other process besides breathing and like your heart beating to purge alcohol. That's how toxic it is. And so when all those processes are stopped, dynorphin releases, dynorphin's natural in your body. It doesn't make you feel good. It makes you feel bad. It's a downer, but it's natural. So the alcohol is purged, but the dynorphin remains. So then you have, if you're regularly drinking this ever present level of dynorphin, which means that things that used to register, like, you know, walking alongside the beach or hanging out with girlfriends or going for a run, all these things that used to bring you pleasure have to break through this level of dynorphin that's trying to subdue your pleasure. That's always there. You know, and so there's really real reasons that people, and I've, you know, met a lot of people now just, I don't know, just they keep 
gravitating to me or whatever, or like it's just the circles I'm in, but just people who are sober and who've always been sober, right? People who've never drank in their life. And they like literally have the most fun. They have the most fun. Um, I was recently had this amazing opportunity to go on a a, a, like dinner yacht cruise with this whole group of entrepreneurs. And um, they had an open bar, but literally they could count the number of drinks they handed out. Nobody was drinking and they had a DJ. And so it was like this massive dance party for all hours of the night, completely sober on this boat. And I was like, like the most fun, but you just don't see it because we're so, we have, we've, we've linked it up so much. And I think part of it is just really, you know, the longer you live in this life, then the more you start to realize like, oh, okay, that's just a false belief that I told myself. And actually, if, yes. if I go back to like junior high dances, you know, or like, you know, being um, eight years old and just giggling with my friends, like it's, it's not, we're, we weren't born needing alcohol to have a good time. And actually neurochemically, it really decreases our ability to have fun. Yep. It was all just a story that I was telling myself that was playing out for a long time. And the really super interesting thing was that this fall, then also my seven sort of status dissolved. And I have like really strong connection to Enneagram four. So I think that part of the seven and part of the drinking was trying to really heal the four part that just inherently feels alone and different and other and and um that's just such a clear four type but the more that i was like oh i don't okay so if i'm not drinking i need to find new ways of having fun well then who am i oh there's this whole person in here who i've been afraid to let be here because of a lot of things, all that childhood trauma. That's why I got the therapist and have the journals and do the work. I feel very supported to do the, the hard work. And then it's like, oh, joy, because there you are and you don't have to hide it or be ashamed of it. And you don't have to be afraid of who you really are or use other tools or techniques to numb out or buffer who you truly are. And from a yogic perspective or Ayurvedic perspective, like that's like the gift of a lifetime is to live into who you are and what you're here to do. And the past few months, again, sort of the longer this goes on, um, in high school, I was diagnosed bipolar and uh, that was horrible and terrifying. And actually when I started drinking a lot more was after that diagnosis and they put me on a lot of medicine and you're too much and you're too high and you're too low. And now that this is all stripped away, I'm like, oh man, this feeds right into that story of a, of a bipolar teen, um, not looking at the holistic picture. And now I'm like, oh, I need to write about this. Like, this is the work that I'm here to do is to kind of dig into some of these um, diagnoses, to dig into some of the ways that we talk about mental illness and alcoholism and history. And it's like so energizing and inspiring to be clear enough to hear the work that we're here to do in the world right? And like continue to do it, which is exactly what you're doing, right? Like as you continue to grow and share your message, it's just inspiring other people to live more fully into who they are, which is what I love about, again, like the end of the book that really inspired that. Like this is so, this could be so much more than you even know in the moment. And it's going to take time. I mean, I think it takes time to kind of sift through some of that for some of us who've had uh, a lot of layers with mental illness and trauma, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what are you, okay. So to wrap up, 
what do you want people to know? So there's women, very successful, very educated, very loving women who listen to this podcast who are in our community. They are amazing. They are doing the best they can every day to try to do all the things. And what do you want them to know? What do you want them to hear from your heart and from your teachings and from everything you've learned? I think the first thing is that, um, like, we're just not alone in questioning this. I felt really very, very alone. I felt like, okay, it was only me. And even the moms I drank with, even my best friends, I didn't feel comfortable talking with them about this. And I felt, you know, I'd wake up at three in the morning, beat myself up, but then put on a smile all day the next day and end up right in the back, you know, in the same circle. And so I just felt really alone. And it wasn't until I finally started talking about it that everybody, everybody came out of the woodwork and was like, oh my gosh, me too. Like, oh, I feel that way too. And I'm, I'm in that same boat too. And it was incredible because, you know, it, we're just, we're just not alone in questioning this. And so it's really destructive, I think, to kind of hide it and feel alone. And I think the second thing, and probably the more important thing is just to understand that like alcohol is a tool that has been given to you. And as a, as something that is perceived to be good, right? Like here's this tool. It's going to make motherhood easier. It's going to make um, stress less. It's going to make sex easier with your husband. It's going to make you into this woman that you know you're supposed to be. And so it's presented as this like work all wonder fix it tool and you have it. And of course you're going to use it. And so like we, I just, I guess want to release a lot of guilt. Like we are doing the absolute best with the tools that are given to us. We just didn't know any better, you know? And, and for so long, I looked back at my drinking life and my parenting and drinking and like all of these instances where, you know, my kids would comment on it or something would happen and it, all of this stuff. And, and I'd feel so much guilt and so much like oh, regret and mad at myself and resentment. And when I realized like I was literally just doing the best I could with the tools that I had, right? Like we don't have bad intentions here. We're not trying to screw up. I was not trying to screw up my life with alcohol. I was just trying to be the best mom that I could and the best wife that I could and the best, you know, employee that I could and do my best. And I thought alcohol was the duct tape that was holding all of that together. And um, now that I know it's not, there's no reason for me to be mad at myself because it was sold to me as the duct tape that was going to hold it all together and make it all okay. So I just really, you know, understand that like, and I, I guess the third thing I'd say is like, if this is resonating with you, like don't make a change right now. Like that's the most important thing. We get, we get so stuck in this cycle of like, okay, well, I felt something there that made me feel intense. I, I don't know. So I'm just going to try to not drink tonight. <laughs> And then what happens is like what I was talking about in the very beginning, this cycle of like broken promises. Like we get all, we just invite cognitive dissonance because we haven't done the, the rewiring of our thinking to be like, well, okay, of course, if you just try not to drink tonight and you have a stressful day today and subconsciously you still believe that alcohol is the duct tape and the key and it's keeping you afloat then you're going to create this huge sense of deprivation and then you're going to be madder at yourself. And it just kicks off this cycle of like literal misery. So what I would say to do is like pick up a copy of this naked mind. It says at the beginning, don't stop drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, is kind of, when I picked it up. So I was like, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't start if you've already stopped. That's absolutely <laughs> true. But it's like, you know, like just let the work happen, let the mindset shift happen, let the change happen. And then, you know, and also don't, don't not pick it up because you're afraid it has to be all or nothing. Like obviously, you know, Pleasance and I are talking about, okay, well, we don't drink and that's a choice, but it becomes, the only reason is because it became 
the choice I wanted, not because there was any rules or fear or anything like that. There's lots of people in the community who um, do drink on occasion and that's where they've found their peace. And so like, I wouldn't, you know, that's what's keeping us all so stuck is this idea that it's all or nothing. It's black or white. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be scary. I'm going to have to stop immediately. And as soon as I stop, I, I awaken that cycle of, of, you know, self-loathing and breaking promises and just put all of that aside and just be like, okay, I'm curious. I'm just going to start reading. You know, you can, um, I think the first few chapters are free on my website, thisnakedmind.com. You can just start reading and like, just dig in and, and don't put any pressure or judgment on yourself. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. Are you an advocate of some, uh, like, do you talk to people that sometimes some people can drink sometimes and it's totally fine and not an issue for them? Cause there's some schools of, of talking about this right now that are, you know, very anti any, anytime. So you're of sort of the, like, choose your own adventure that works for you. Just be honest about it. Yeah. Here's the thing I know about people without a shadow of a doubt, when you tell somebody they can't do something, that's the thing they're going to want to do. Of course. (laughs) And so when we're going into it, like, well, if you want to come on this side and experiment with sobriety, that means you can't drink anymore. Um, It's going to be totally destructive and it's, it doesn't, it's not in sync. So absolutely. Like we're, we're grownups. We're going to do what we want anyway, no matter what anybody tells us. We don't need the added guilt of somebody saying, well, if you have a drink, then that means you're in this bucket or that bucket. And so I would, I would, I just stay away from that completely. You know, even for me, I don't say like, I'm never going to drink again. Like I say, I drink what I want whenever I want. I just haven't actually wanted to drink in, I think it's close to five years now. And so that perspective frees me from that okay, you can never do it again. I mean, seriously, like even, even now I have such a reaction to the, like, there's not only if you say, I'm never going to drink again, you're not going to know you're successful because you're not going to know, be successful until you're dead. And then you're not going to know you're successful. So it's like this impossible goal that you're never going to know if you win. Whereas if you really take that pressure away from the conversation and say, I'm going to do what's right for me, but I'm going to commit to myself that I'm going to learn about the thing that I'm drinking more than anything else. You know, when I was drinking a lot, I knew more and was more cautious about taking Advil than I was about drinking alcohol because, oh, it's like, maybe it's going to be bad for my liver. Like I, I was seriously like, would not like, I was like, no, I'm not going to take medications. Like I'm, I'm evolved beyond pharmaceuticals. I only do homeopathics, whatever the case is, but then I was drinking alcohol. So I would just say like, make the commitment to, you know, allow for the questions and, and, and know more about what you're putting into your body, but don't, don't get stuck on the all or never. That's my point of view. I know people definitely feel very strongly the other way as well, but that's where I sit. I just really appreciate it because I think, again, sort of the bigger teaching or takeaway for our life is around looking at the habits and behaviors and patterns and just being really honest about them. And I think that one of the truths that I found as I was exploring this was that I was taking a leave and Advil like way more. I had a, I had a secret bottle in my purse, right? That I would like pop one of pretty regularly um, but still very high functioning and running around. So th- that these little truths, these little nuggets that I found, and I found it really helpful, especially a lot of people will say, when are you going to start drinking again? Or like, is this forever? People always ask me that, or is it always? And I'm like, I don't know. And I am the kind of person, I was a big smoker in college, in high, high school and college. And I am the kind of person who can have a cigarette and then not again for six months. 
Like, and I have friends who can't do that and family members who the minute they have one, they're, they're back to smoking full time. And so I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Like I'm not necessarily like that. Or I, I've been able to kind of release some of that stress and just have more of the experience of like what feels good now. So I just appreciate that intuitive nature that you're guiding. Um, okay. So to close, where can people find you? Thisnakedmind.com. Anywhere else that you want to send them? Um, so I have a 30 day experiment. If people just want to be like, Oh, I'm just going to take a 30 day break. Um, it's alcoholexperiment.com and it's daily videos and emails. It's hundred percent free. So just alcoholexperiment.com. So you get all the same mindset shifts, but it's just like flipping it up on its head to where like, all right, I already know I want to do a little detox and um, just try that. And you come out of it really with a very empowered instead of you know, most experiments are like, or not even like breaks from alcohol, you end up going through it like, okay, this is going to suck and I'm going to get through it. And so you really make it suck because you're telling yourself it's going to suck. And then the forbidden fruit syndrome, well, I can't have it for 30 days. So uh, yeah. it becomes more important. And so day 31, we're, you know, right back, probably drinking more than we were before we started. Whereas this totally flips that model on its head. So again, alcoholexperiment.com. Okay. Um, if you ever come to Washington, come hang out with us. We'll get a, a live group of peeps here in the living room or at a yoga studio and do awesome. some with you. Um, to close, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for writing this book. Thank you for the work that you do in the world. Thank you for sharing your message and really encouraging and inspiring us to ask the questions and have these experiments. I think it's really, really, really important. So I honor you. Thank you so much. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Are you ready for a deep dive and truly lasting change? If so, you might consider my intensive program. It's a nine-week self-led program that you can do in the complete comfort of your own home, and it will truly transform your relationship with alcohol. If you want to learn more about this, go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash intensive. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.